Thank you for joining us for Sound Reasoning with Christian apologist and minister Perseus Poku of Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's program will educate, train, and empower you to defend your Christian faith with confidence. Perseus has his bachelor's in history and a master's degree in apologetics. We hope you enjoy this time of equipping so that you can answer questions to defend your Christian faith effectively. Now here's Perseus Poku on Sound Reasoning. Welcome to Sound Reasoning. I'm your host, Perseus Poku. On today's episode, um, we wanted to continue our wonderful discussion dealing with the New Testament and uh, continuing our dialogue with Dr. Craig Blomberg, the distinguished professor at Denver Seminary uh, in the New Testament department. Dr. Blomberg, how are you? Very good, thank you. Great. It is uh, great to have you on again, and I do appreciate you carving out time for us. You're very welcome. So we wanted to continue uh, the discussion we had on last week, and... The next question I wanted to ask you, or the first one, was what are variances? Textual variants in the Bible refer to the fact that uh, with the large number of manuscripts that we have for any portion of any book of Scripture, uh, they are seldom absolutely identical even if uh, the variations are simply uh, ones of spelling or uh, word order. So a textual variant simply means uh, an alternative uh, reading of uh, the biblical text at uh, a particular chapter or verse. So can you um, explain that a, a little bit more for us in terms of how as a, would a normal layperson um, deal with this so uh, textual variance concept? If uh, a person owns uh, or has access to uh, any modern language translation of the Bible, in English just about anything other than the King James or the New King James, uh, the very most uh, important of these variants will be listed in uh, footnotes or maybe uh, uh, notes in the margins of their Bible, uh, often in uh, uh, fairly small print. And if somebody is, uh, has got a Bible on uh, a phone, um, there usually is a way to uh, click on a verse or a keyword to find out if there is a textual variant there. Um, and so it's worth taking the time to uh, see if any of these are listed, and then you can... Uh, Compare them for yourselves. In most cases, uh, the uh, main meaning of the text is uh, not changed at all, but uh, there are a handful of places throughout both Testaments where uh, something more important is at stake. Uh, for someone who uh, wants to go beyond just English and uh, study a little bit of uh, the original Greek or Hebrew uh, of the New and Old Testaments, respectively, then they can utilize uh, what are called critical editions of the New and Old Testament that uh, are scholars' best reconstructions of what the originals most likely said in those languages, and they will print in their footnotes uh, a much larger selection uh, than uh, you usually find in an English Bible. So that leads me to my next question then. 
in terms of trans the transmission process, uh, when scholars encounter these variances, it, 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 it you already talked about it. Most of them do not change the meaning of the passages, but how do you contextualize those um, manuscripts that have uh, the meanings uh, inconsistent with the original authorship? Where, where there is something more uh, dramatic going on, uh, or for that matter, even when there's not, uh, the approach is uh, twofold. Uh, there is what uh, is called external evidence, that is, you uh, compile uh, an account of all the different manuscripts that support one particular reading and all of those that support another, uh, or if there's more than two, uh, make however many columns is necessary, and we are able to date uh, almost uh, every manuscript that's ever been discovered, at least to a particular century, and sometimes more specifically than that. We are also able to uh, uh, determine uh, the family of manuscripts into which uh, they fall, because as people have, have rediscovered these uh, hundreds and at times thousands of manuscripts, uh, a lot of them look extremely similar to one another, and if one of them uh, has a change at a certain point from an older text, uh, most of the others will as well. And so they can be grouped into these families, and we can make generalizations about the overall reliability and overall age of the different families. So that's that's one way to begin to say, do the vast majority of manuscripts say one thing um, and only a handful differ? Uh, or do the oldest manuscripts say one thing and the later ones differ? Uh, or do the most reliable families say one thing and less reliable families of text say something else? That's all the external evidence. But then you also have to study what's called internal evidence, and that is simply what reading is most likely to have been something that a scribe would change, uh, usually assuming that uh, what he had in front of him had a mistake in it, and he was trying to uh, correct and, and return to the original, or what kind of reading could accidentally have been miscopied. So anything that is uh, awkwardly worded, anything that seems to introduce a theological problem of some kind, um, anything that seems to be missing important information, um, or where it's clear that uh, a scribe's eye could have jumped from uh, uh, a word that ended with one letter to another word that ended with the same letter nearby, or even to a line that ended the same way as the next line, uh, we can usually make informed guesses as to uh, which would have been the original and which way it most likely would have been changed. Got it. Thank you so much for that explanation. So then, in terms of uh, internal evidence, uh, one of the questions I wanted to ask you was uh, is dealing with John chapter 5. Uh, and in verse uh, 4, some translations um, excised that text and chose not to um, list it. 
So you'll find some translations of the Bible where it goes from John chapter 5, verse 3, down to verse 5, and may have a footnote at the bottom for verse 4. So mm-hmm. from your research, can you tell us why that exists in terms sure. of... That's, that's uh, one of those handful of examples where uh, a bigger chunk of text is involved, and, uh, and it's sort of interesting. So uh, if I'm reading uh, this account, uh, Jesus is in Jerusalem uh, near the pool known as Bethesda, and verse 3 says here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. Um, if I read uh, verse 4 in uh, English translation, um, it goes on to say, and they waited for the moving of the waters. From time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. The first one into the pool, after each such disturbance, would be cured of whatever disease they had. Well, that's an interesting statement. If I don't know much of anything about uh, this particular story, but am familiar with uh, biblical teaching in general, it it raises some interesting questions. Um, I don't know of anything else in the Bible quite like this. Uh, It almost uh, sounds more like something you'd read about in uh, uh, Lord of the Rings or uh, (laughs) some uh, work of fiction where uh, uh, an angel is working a miracle. Angels appear throughout the Bible, but uh, not... uh, for the most part, doing this kind of thing. So then I keep on reading, and verse 5 says, One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, he learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, said, Do you want to get well? And the story continues. Now, if I leave verse 4 out, mm-hmm. I might never suspect anything was missing. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years, dot, dot, dot. That Mm -hmm. makes sense. Mm -hmm. But when I get to verse 7, I read, Sir, or Lord, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. And if I don't have verse 4, I'm saying to myself, what does it matter about stirring up the water? <laughs> right. Um, if there's some healing power to the pool, just get in the pool anytime you can or want to. <laughs> right, right. So, so what's all this about? So it seems that because we look at the external evidence and see that a large number of the oldest and, and most reliable manuscripts lack the verse, that Later on, scribes recognized that here here was a puzzle. Um, John may have known that all of his original readers uh, knew about this uh, somewhat superstitious tradition. Uh, it was one that wasn't just in Jewish circles. Uh, the pool continued to be used even uh, after much of Jerusalem was destroyed, and it, and it became a Roman healing shrine. And so uh, it probably was well known for this belief, uh, even though it was kind of superstitious, uh, but uh, the scribes figured, okay, not everybody knows this. We've got to explain what, what the belief was, and so they added it in. 
So from your research, you're saying that this is a commentary by the scribes and not the original author? That would be a very good way of putting it, yes. Okay. Excellent. Thank you for that explanation. My next question deals with um, when researching the New Testament, you often come across these uh, regional terms, uh, the Byzantine and Alexandrian and West, right. Western texts. What are those? Those are uh, what are called text types. Um, you might call them families of families. I referred to, to families of manuscripts that were very similar. And then you can take a number of different families and group them together. Uh, typically, they tended to all be copied in a certain geographical area. Uh, they tended to all have certain uh, features to them, uh, sometimes in terms of handwriting, sometimes in terms of uh, the way the scrolls uh, were decorated, sometimes in terms of... Uh, similar kinds of variants, and so when when people want to talk about the three or four major ways you can break down all of our ancient manuscripts into groups that are, are more alike than different, these are the terms that are used. And um, are those also uh, regional in terms of their titles? Right. Right. So a lot of the Alexandrian manuscripts have been found in Egypt, and many of them in and around uh, Alexandria, which was the uh, second largest city of the ancient Roman Empire. Uh, the Byzantine uh, texts uh, tend to come from Byzantium, which is uh, the ancient name for Istanbul in uh, northwestern Turkey, when that was the, the center of the empire after Rome fell. Um, the Western text tends to come from uh, uh, Italy, from Rome, and even parts further to the West in the Roman Empire. And uh, then there are one or two other smaller groups uh, that scholars debate, but again, they tend to be named after uh, parts of geography. Thank you. Now, in terms of our New Testament Bible, is evident that is very different than the Bibles that, let's say, uh, those in the Catholic faith use. And one of the terms that comes up frequently is the Apocrypha. What is the Apocrypha, and, and why is it different than the New Testament that we use? The Apocryphal books in uh, the Roman Catholic uh, Scripture um, are all books that uh, were written, uh, as far as we can tell, by Jewish authors uh, in between uh, the end of the Protestant Old Testament, the time of Malachi in about 425 B.C., and the uh, events which we now date to uh, A.D. surrounding Jesus and the Apostles in the New Testament. There is no disagreement between uh, Catholics and Protestants over the books of the New Testament, um, but uh, as Christianity grew in the early centuries and began to divide into, uh, into different groups, and by the 4th and 5th centuries, uh, uh, what we think of as Roman Catholicism started to uh, uh, be uh, a major uh, development within Christianity. Um, these books uh, helped uh, Christians understand uh, 
historical events uh, between the two testaments. Uh, they supplied them with additional psalms and proverbs. Uh, they uh, included uh, a couple of uh, historical novels that uh, help people to understand the uh, theological reasoning of Jews uh, in between the Testaments. Uh, some of them were actually supplements to existing books of the Bible, like Daniel and Esther, and uh, they became uh, very helpful and very valuable and occasionally uh, even seem to support one or two uh, distinctive doctrines that uh, Catholics developed. Uh, but they were never formally uh, canonized. They were never uh, agreed upon by some uh, council representing the uh, entire Roman Catholic Church as uh, canonical. What happened was when Martin Luther started the Reformation, uh, 1517, uh, he called for the Church to treat as Scripture only those Old Testament books that Jews themselves had canonized, and hence the uh, 39 books of the Protestant Old Testament. Um, part of what was called the Counter-Reformation, uh, the Council of Trent, mm -hmm. uh, from the 1530s thereabouts, uh, was, in essence, uh, sort of a, a slap in the face at Luther to say, well, if, if you're going to say these shouldn't be treated as Scripture and uh, preached, then we will officially make them part of the canon so that, uh, so that people can do exactly that. Thank you for that um, historical aspect. I'm sure that a lot of our listeners have been edified just, <laughs> just, just from that alone. Now, one of the popular questions that we often are posed is, which translations uh, should an individual use in studying the Bible? Which one do you recommend? I always answer that question uh, like the ancient rabbis did, uh, by asking the person another question. <laughs> <laughs> and I say... Um, Tell me uh, in more detail what you want the translation of the Bible for. If uh, they want uh, something that they will use for personal and very detailed study, and they do not have access to or the ability to reference any Greek or Hebrew resources, and they are pretty well educated and pretty literate in the English language, then I will say go for uh, a translation which is uh, very formally equivalent, that prioritizes, uh, as long as it is somewhat intelligible in English, uh, a uh, translation that models the form and structure and meaning of the original. And uh, these can be uh, translations like the New American Standard Bible, uh, like the English Standard Version, um, and to just a slightly lesser degree, the uh, New Revised Standard Version. If, on the other hand, somebody is learning English as a second language, or for whatever reason uh, has not had much education, maybe never even finished high school, or if a parent is wanting to introduce a grade school or a middle school child to uh, 
their own reading of English, uh, then you want something that really prioritizes clarity and intelligibility and fluency and something that's easy to read without an advanced vocabulary. Um, and then I will recommend what are called dynamically equivalent translations, of which the best by far, I think, is the New Living Translation. Uh, but there are others like uh, the Contemporary English Version, uh, the New International Reader's Version, and, uh, and others in that vein. For the broadest cross-section of the uh, English-speaking world, however, uh, I think what you want is something that is called an optimally equivalent translation that doesn't prioritize form, that doesn't prioritize clarity, that tries in every passage to be as faithful to the original as possible, but also to be as clear and fluent as possible, mm. and realizing that you will sacrifice a little bit uh, of one or the other of those uh, in most passages, but uh, it will speak uh, accurately enough and clearly enough to uh, a majority of the population. And now we're looking at translations like the New International Version, uh, the Holman Christian Standard Bible, a very new recent one called the Common English Bible. Mm -hmm. After all is said and done, um, not just because there are 400-plus million copies of it in existence and it's the world's best-selling Bible, but also because I've had the privilege of serving on the uh, Translation Committee for the last seven years, I think the NIV all around is the one that will serve you the best in most settings. Dr. Blumberg, thank you so much for taking this time out for us. And uh, we've certainly learned a lot uh, based on your scholarship and the amount of time you've dedicated to the Word of God. So thank you again, and we'll be praying for you, uh, your ministry, and your students in Denver. And may the Lord uh, keep on uh, showing himself and revealing himself to you in a much intimate way. Thank you very kindly, and the same to you. So I will be in touch, and thank you again for doing the show. You're very welcome. Have a blessed day. Bye-bye. That was Dr. Craig Blumberg, a distinguished professor from Denver Seminary. And uh, we were blessed to have him on the show. And again, it is our hope that every Christian learn to defend the faith and read their Bible for all it's worth. Thanks for listening to Sound Reasoning with apologist and minister Perseus Poku from Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's lesson has equipped you to share and defend your Christian faith with boldness. Sound Reasoning Ministries offers training in apologetics, biblical studies, and systematic theology. Join in on discussions on Facebook at Sound Reasoning Ministries. For more information about the ministry, to send an email, ask a question, or support the ministry, visit online at srministries.org. That's srministries.org. Listen again next week at this same time. And remember, Titus 1.9 says, Hold firm to the trustworthy message as has been taught so that you can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Sound Reasoning Ministries, srministries.org. Jesus wants our fears to launch us toward faith. Then he grins and says, Do you trust me? Because together we can do this. With Mornings with Jesus, you can start your day in a positive way. 
Find hope through inspirational stories in Scripture. Go to lifeaudio.com or search your favorite podcast app for Mornings with Jesus. You can also download the Abide app for biblical meditations at abide.com.